Hey everybody, welcome to episode 30... no... 30. 53. <laughs> Goodness. Thanks a lot. Well, that's for the outtakes, right? The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 53 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, normally... Um, this week I'm in Denver, and I'm um, joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. How's it going? And I'm also joined by fellow Canadian Greg Heo, who's also in Denver this week. How's it going? <laughs> and, oh, uh, sick burn. We have a special guest here today. We've uh, Fouad Kamal is uh, here taking uh, pictures as the official photographer for 360 iDev, so say hello. How you doing? How's it going? How's it going? Sorry. How's it going? <laughs> We're all trying to do How's a high mate, but and all failing, I should say. <laughs> yeah. How's it going? Folks. I well, you were push... telling me about... Why don't you start the story over again about, about not getting service? Oh, I finished that story, Tim. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. It was that interesting. But you didn't notice mm-hmm. me, right? Like, I, I was just sort of, uh, you know, using that as a, um, a metaphor, if you will, to describe how I've been feeling lately about everything. Mm-hmm. It's just funny that uh, that that story happened uh, at about the same time as I was having all these feelings about uh, nobody sees me. By the way, Aaron, it's really weird hearing your voice and being able to talk to you because I feel like I'm listening to the podcast. Yeah, you <laughs> don't normally talk back like, to podcasts, do you? You're kidding? No. Claude in his car, he's shouting back at you all the time, I'll bet. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I do that a lot. I'm cracking up the whole time. Actually, I, I, I shout back at podcasts all the time while I'm uh, walking my dog, for example. Um, this, this week's ATP, for example, and I hate to talk about Marco again, but uh, when they were going on about, uh, what was it? Oh, oh yeah, uh, touch to tap on the uh, force, tra- force touch keyboards, or trackpads, rather. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Did you did you hear that when they were talking about that? Like no, I'm behind, how, so I haven't tap- listened to it. Okay, so basically they were going on for about 15 minutes about how awful tap to click is. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, on the touch pads? Yeah, which which is which is great and is absolutely no trouble whatsoever, and yet they're going into maddening detail. Yes, I did how, hear that one. Yeah. Oh my god! And I'm I'm like walking my dog down the street, and I'm like, shut up about this already. <laughs> they're like, so yeah, so if you turn it on, then you get you get so many f- like false positives. I'm like, I have never in my never, life had never. a false positive. This is ridiculous. Knuckle down and learn how to use the thing, for goodness sakes, you people. Where are you from? Jeez. Anyway. Yeah, but if, if the podcast is so irritating, then why do you listen to it? It's normally not at all that irritating. That's why I listen. I actually really like that podcast. It was the after show in their defense, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no. It was prime time, baby. This was, um, okay, I'm talking I've about like, this, this past week's show. It was just, uh, I just finished listening to it tonight. It's, it's getting darn long. But, um, oh, boy. That one. And then they were talking about something else as well that was equally annoying. And... I, I sort of had this thought, like, they've never annoyed me like this before. Uh, I might have to stop listening. <laughs> I've had that you too, know Aaron. What? There's a galaxy I, I of don't podcasts. listen to it. I used to be like, as soon as it came out, I would just play it. It was like religiously. And now I'm like, uh, I'll listen to it eventually. And now I'm like three episodes or one and a half episodes behind. So I've, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just sick of hearing their voices or if the quality of the podcast itself has gone down. I'm not sure. But I felt well, the I'm same not, thing. I'm not sure either. And uh, that's... It's it's really weird and interesting about podcasts, you know, because, um, okay, well, let's get into it. What the hell? The Relay uh, oh. FM anniversary happened, what, today, I guess, because we're starting to see all these articles. Uh, this is Mike Hurley's podcast network, and uh, he's, you know, kicked, he kicked it off with a bang. He's got, like, 
all of the famous people, like the popular club. I feel like I'm in high school again. I swear to God. So like, um, I'm like one of these like, uh, like I was actually in high school. This like out, you know, outcast nerd that nobody cares about, right? Well, it's like that now again in my professional life. Same thing. Nobody cares. But then there's this popular crowd of boys, right? The jocks that are hanging out together and like you know always doing things together and got their own group and everybody's listening to them. And I feel like I have something to contribute, but nobody's looking this way. You know, it's exactly like that. And so that's what that's what Relay FM is, right? It's got mm-hmm. this huge podcast uh, of network a network of podcasts, and so you've got all these people, same people doing multiple shows. It is literally dizzying. You have no idea what to listen to on this on this network or of any podcast for that matter. One person, how many podcast hours can you listen to in a week? I have um, maybe four hours of podcast listening per week. You know, that's it. And there's probably thousands of hours per week that I could listen to. So what does one do? Well, uh, you subscribe to a podcast network, and suddenly you've got way more than you could ever listen to. So you get notified for every podcast they produce? No, I don't. But that's what that's what they want you to do. But here, here it is. Let me uh, read you Marco's thing from when he was talking about this this anniversary and the TechCrunch article written about it. Um, mm-hmm. He says he's working with a close-knit group of old and new friends doing conversational shows about geeky interests um, and getting paid for it, basically. So it's it's a zero-effort game for them. All they do is put their like super expensive podcast equipment on their heads and, <laughs> and blather for three hours <laughs> and then they, I guess, get someone to edit it. And post it, and they uh, get the check in the mail. You know, that's what Relay is for mm-hmm. them, for the, the, for the, quote, talent, right? So for the rest of us, though, we have far too many choices as to what to listen to. Well, to be honest, like, I only listen to a few podcasts. I, I, I use that podcast app and Overcast, and I think if you don't listen to them regularly, they sort of disappear or they become stale on the, the app. So Yep. I mean, I listen to, to uh, release notes, like I've said I mean, many times before. I listen to the Ray Wonderlake podcast. I listen to ours, of course, several times, but only because I'm editing it. And I love your wonderful voice. But, um, yeah, I mean, I stopped listening to ATP a while ago. It just it's, it, it takes a lot of time. It does. And I'm kind of a completionist, you know. So part of oh, my yeah, problem yeah. is, mm. you know, I, I listen to a podcast and, you know, frankly, the, the appeal of a podcast and I think the the one thing that podcasts have that so many other mediums uh, don't <laughs> is the relationship that the listeners and the hosts can have, you know, albeit one way. Uh, once you get into a particular podcast, you become familiar with the people that you're listening to. And uh, I have that sort of with John Syracuse, for example. Right. Um, you know, who I kind of uh, really admire as as a podcaster what happens at the end is that i have this need to sort of follow through with an existing set of podcasts if a new episode comes out i want to listen to it and so there's really in practical terms only like three podcasts that i listen to regularly aside from our own of course um so like there's i listen to core intuition with dan jalcott and um manton reese because you know it's hard to remember that guy because he's gone from Twitter. Um, <laughs> I listen to ATP and I listen yeah. to the talk show and I'm trying and, and our own. So I think that's it. 
You know? Really? Hmm. Yeah. I, I literally have no time for other podcasts. Wow. For, well, for what, what do you listen to? I know you kept a blog on, on podcasts. Yeah, so like I used to drive to Atlanta from Maryland, so I had plenty of time to listen. So I'm not listening as often now. But like I posted a whole bunch of podcasts on my blog that I listened to. But the main was Rain, Ray Renelick. And then after that, it's you guys are like my number two. Um, you keep me awake and entertained. Hmm. Um, I just started listening to Roundabout. Um, and since uh, Greg is on like so many podcasts, I started like <laughs> trailing him. So we're all trolling he's, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Wh- wherever he's interviewed, I started listening to that at least the episodes where he's been interviewed. So I listened to IOS because he was on that. So I just listened to that one episode and and so on. I also listened to NS Brief, and I guess those are my top ones. Um, yeah. And then there's Debug, which I used to listen to in on that long drive, but it's too long. Okay, so Fuad, nowadays, can you sum up the number of hours per week of podcasting that you listen to? Um, I guess I drive about four days out of the week to the client site. That's like two hours, eight hours a week, I guess. Eight hours a week. That's a lot of podcasting. So people who commute have a definite advantage in the amount they can consume, you know? Yeah, and uh, that's the only time I listen to podcasts. I used to also do it when I was biking, but I decided that I'd rather have quiet when I cycle. Yeah, that's a pretty common thing I've heard, too, from um, some people who listen to us who've given feedback, is that they, when I ask if they've heard our show or whatever, they'll they'll say, well, I only listen to podcasts when I'm commuting and stuff like that. And, and you and I, Aaron, we listen when we're walking our respective dogs, right? Yeah, that's that and uh, doing chores around the house or cutting yeah, the grass, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so... My max, really, in some some weeks, I can fall behind even on what I consider to be a fairly modest podcast listening budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say say four hours, and if if I am not if I have not done four hours worth of dog walking and vacuuming and lawn cutting, mm-hmm. uh, or in the winter shoveling, then I'm going to fall behind. It's that simple. <laughs> and, right, right. Um, it's it's actually quite rare that I don't have a podcast to listen to, even with mm-hmm. those few. And so whenever I see a new podcast come out, I'm thinking to myself, yep, that's nice, but there's no way I'm going to be able to fit that into my busy schedule. Mm-hmm. I've already got those places taken uh, with, with like the ones I said. So it's, it's very difficult, and, and, yet, and yet the constellations grow larger. More and more podcasts. <laughs> what does one do? Well, what? the universe is expanding, and there's got to be more time for more podcasts, right? Well, you know what? Uh, the force of gravity will be such that the universe will begin to contract. Because, let's face it, I mean, there's too many, and, they, and there just are only so many podcast listening hours. Right. And also, let's face it, they're so similar now. Like, it's going to become harder to break in. You know, how many groups of white guys... Uh, sorry, Jaime. All uh, right, and Greg. And, uh, okay, so how many and groups Tim. of guys... And Tim. <laughs> yeah, and what even... <laughs> Whatever. Where did they come out from? <laughs> okay, am I the only white guy here? Cool! Yeah, <laughs> Where did they come from? Welcome to the minority. Okay, shut up. <laughs> okay, no problem. So, but guys, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have this, uh, oh my goodness, they have such a very different opinion than what I do. Let's listen to them. <laughs> that mm-hmm. doesn't happen at all, right? No, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. I was going to ask you, Aaron, um, this week's episode... Well, Fuad already listens, which is nice, if, since he's following me around. But I'm on this week's episode of the RayRenderlick.com podcast, and we were talking about podcasting, and I was asking those guys sort of what they think about podca- podcasting in general and their podcasts. So, Aaron, I would ask you, given what you just said about there being so many podcasts and them being so similar and whatnot, what, for this podcast, what are sort of your goals and what do you want listeners to get out of it, and what would you say is the 
you know, differentiator between this and another tech podcast? Wow. Wow. What a question. I know I gave them the question in advance so they could prepare. So I'm putting yeah. you on the spot here. But See, what, yeah. what do you see as I'll, the difference? And I've, if, you know, what would be the elevator pitch, let's say, if someone said, oh, a tech podcast with you and three other people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, what's it like? What do you guys talk about? And, you know, sort of what's the, what's the value in there? What would you say? It's a little embarrassing uh, to, to admit it. Uh, but I feel like any podcast is, is represented by the force of its hosts. And so if you want to listen to a podcast, you can, you know, and, and I'm speaking specifically about technology podcasts, the kinds of which that I listen to and that this is, you know, mm-hmm. um, what distinguishes one podcast from another is the intelligence and the expressiveness of its hosts and whether they are worth listening to. So they'll have some entertainment value, I would hope. Uh, they would have personalities that you would find appealing, and they would hopefully grow on you over time. I think that those are the hallmarks of a good podcast, right? Um, you know, like yeah, I, think I think of, so. um, you know, like look at, uh, there's a reason John Gruber is so successful. Uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't knock it out of the park with every episode of the talk show. Uh, just like he doesn't knock it out of the park with every article he posts to his website. But he has an extremely high percentage of very, very good hits, to use the sportsing metaphor. Sorry. Sporting? Sports sports harder! (laughs) The thing is, is that Gruber, if you listen to him on the talk show, he can be very effective extemporaneously. So Mm -hmm. when he is developing a thought or an idea uh, in terms of analysis of what Apple is doing or what the technology market is doing... He can be extremely persuasive and insightful uh, in ways that probably surprise even him when he's saying it, uh, that I find enlightening and very interesting. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't happen every time, but it happens enough that I find listening to his show extremely valuable hmm. because it provides great perspective on, on the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of what we provide, um, I'm not going to, you know, joke around or anything like we're definitely not a top tier podcast right um and we're never going to be i mean okay on an infinite time scale and (laughs) you never know but uh not likely so we're doing what we really enjoy doing here i think which is coming on to talk about these issues that matter to us and kind of express our opinion and if we're lucky uh sort of uh, promote our our own careers, if you will, online. That was really, I think, Tim's motivation for starting this, is, is mm-hmm. sort of to, um, you know, provide us a, a platform that that people will grow with and listen to and enjoy, um, and hopefully learn about who we are as as technologists and as developers. Yeah, the, I mean, the reality was that um, Mark and I used to spend a lot of time peer programming together, and we would we would basically be uh, we would work for like an hour or so, and then we would talk for two or three hours on the business and, and on a com- common experiences and things like that. And um, so we started thinking to each other, we should we should try to capture this in some way in terms of a book or something or a blog post or something. As you know, Mark's not about to do any blog posting soon. Um, 
So, and, and that's when I approached you and, and Jaime. I, remember, I met Jaime at, at 360 iDev two years ago, and, you know, he said a few insightful things. We, had a, we, we clicked quite a bit on the whole industry of iOS developers, and we were talking about this. At that point in time, the indie apocalypse hadn't actually started yet, but it, he kind of, I think he'd heard a blog post somewhere or heard something on a podcast about the fact that it was coming, and uh, so that was kind of insightful. And, you know, and of course, I knew you from Taco, so we, we kind of all connected together. But, you know, and I was going to say, you know, like part of the theme down here at 360i Dev is um, about the indie apocalypse. There's been three or four talks already about it. And ironically, I went to the uh, Night of Meat the other day and I sat next to a couple of developers who had, you know, or actually they sat next to us on our table and had no, no idea who they were. Um, and I said to the next guy next to me, I said, so what do you do? He goes, oh, well, as a matter of fact, I run a tech podcast that we just started. Yeah. So I, we're beginning to wonder if, the, you know, we're, we've given up on the app store, so now we're all going to start turn, turning out text podcasts. Are you wow. going to give them the shout-out? What was the podcast? The podcast was, drumroll, please, Shared Instance. Sharedinstance.com is where you'd find those guys. That's a pretty good name, except yeah. aren't we all anti-Singleton these days? Oh, no, I love Singletons. I don't know if Oh, I'm, no. I, no, sorry, there it is. I love a Singleton. Um, I love me a good Singleton, too. Yeah, right? When I'm doing audio or stuff wrong. like that, I prefer Singletons. Yeah, I like a nice Singleton. I don't think anybody. Um, I don't think anybody's under the illusion that uh, a podcast is going to be a viable business, right? <laughs> I mean, no, that's the no, difference but, between. But, but, but it's it's <laughs> it's a, it's the same sort of thing. It's the the reality is, and one of the reasons why you know Greg and I write for RayWinner.com is that you know we if we can teach one person something, then we've passed on. We've done good for the world. We've done we've done our piece for society, if you will. And the fact that we can you know share our knowledge with up-and-coming developers, you know, who may be foolish enough to think that they can build an app, put it on the App Store, and make a living out of it, right? We can stop them right there and go, wait a minute, bucko, you know? That's not how it's going to be. And, you know, and talking about, rather than them, them having scratch, scratching their heads for trying to figure out what Apple is doing, you know, they can listen to tech podcasts like ours and figure out that, you know, in, in the business world, this is where, you know, the, the concept falls down. They can listen to release notes and learn if they want to be indie, how you go about doing that. If they want, they can listen to us for very many things. If, or if they want to get deep into the code, they can listen to, like we mentioned last week, uh, Build Phase or IOS or other, other tech podcasts like that that get into the actual meat and potatoes of switching to Swift and using the new error, error handling and that kind of stuff. So, Fuad, I'm interested to know, as you're commuting and listening to podcasts, are you interested in like the the deep tech discussion? Like, you feel like you should be taking notes, but you can't because you're driving, or is it more of a, just a diversion while you're on the road and you just want kind of casual conversation? What's kind of your what do you look for in a podcast? Right. So actually, there's a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, and I don't want to diss them uh, online, obviously. But um, they were very specific, and they got in the code and stuff. And I cannot listen to that when I'm driving. Right. That's the complete opposite of what I want. So I listen to like 12 different iOS podcasts because iOS is like a platform I'm really excited about, so it's, you know, that keeps me engaged, but the main thing is keeping me engaged. I mean, you guys are basically keeping me alive on the road, okay? So, I mean, <laughs> I think if you keep, if you save someone's life, that's a pretty big contribution. Forget about, like, technically advancing people, but, I mean, you keep me engaged, so the personality is really good. Um, Aaron cracks me up all the time. I like to hear him say about or a boot or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my good Lord. So, I, I mean, that, say that, we don't say about, seriously. <laughs> so, Aaron, I mean, let's I mean, hear so, it. So, let's yeah. hear it. About. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I no, you say, say a boot, boot, man. Why do you say different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, the, the main thing is to keep me engaged. So, like, it, when you talk about stuff in, in general, like, you know, you know, this is a new framework that came out, it's used for this, you know, those things are good 
Um, but like if you say, you know, you do this like specific code type thing, I, I'm not going to sit there and take notes, and I don't want to do that, and that's going to put me to sleep. So it's, yeah. you know, I, I really need stuff to keep me engaged, and you know, a good laugh here and there is good. Like Ray Renovlik is is my favorite podcast, and they're not as funny as you guys, okay? <laughs> but they no, they do really good interviews, like, and they have their stuff down to an art, like they are super prepared. I mean, I've never, out of all the podcasts I've ever listened to, they probably prepare the best. I mean, they put a lot of work into it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really shows off in the, you know, in the outcome. Like, it's very polished and they get right to the point and they don't like um, mess around too much. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you guys mess around a lot and it's good. It keeps me awake. So, Yeah, well, the magic I can tell you as an insider, and I don't think I'm giving too much away, is that, that there is a lot of preparation that goes into everything that they do at raywinderlick.com. It's sometimes maddening for some of us, Greg. I don't know why you're telling me that, but okay. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I was sort of the guest host for this week's episode. And yeah, yeah it is a lot of preparation to do that. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of fun. And I think, like Fuad said, it does, you get a slightly more polished kind of thing. I mean, there are still meanderings here and there and opportunities to kind of just bring things up on the fly. But I think with the interview format, especially because they have guests, like a different guest every week. And it's hard because are you going to get along with the guests? Like with you guys, just like Fuad, what I like about this podcast is that you guys know each other and, you know, there's the banter back and forth and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. you know, that has a particular feel to it. But if you had a different guest on every week and like it, it might be someone that you really admire, but you don't know. And it's like you can't have that. So you have to have a little more preparation with the questions and whatnot. So. Um, just like Fuad, I mean, those are those two are probably my top two podcasts as well. Um, the Ray Wenderlich one and this one, just for those. But, you know, it's nice. You get a nice balance of both the interview style and the banter style. I always tell Mick and Jake from the other podcasts that I like. They usually do like five, ten minutes of just them two banter yeah. at the beginning. And I always tell them I really like that before they yeah. bring the guest on. But, sure. uh, exactly. yeah, yeah, I like it. Both podcasts have their own strengths. Cool. All right, and that's enough hey, inside baseball. I want to hear about all these indie apocalypse things. Tell me okay. about that. All right, so yeah, so as I said in the, in the intro, we're down here for 360i Dev in Denver, which is an annual iOS conference for in, for Apple or Apple iOS developers, macOS 10 developers, and you know typical conference style stuff. They actually not so much typical. They do a, a Sunday. Sunday is a day for uh, hands-on uh, sessions, and they had two of them: one in the morning, one in the afternoon. I think they had three different tracks. Greg? Yes, that's correct. Three, I think, or maybe two. Yeah. So, um, which we could go to. So, you know, there was uh, Sam Davies did one on uh, size classes and and um, the new hotness. Um, what's uh, stack views? And, uh, sorry, which one did you go to, Greg? In the morning, I was at Kendall, I don't know his last name. He mm-hmm. did one on debugging and covered all kinds of things like LLDB, right. view debugging, reveal, all kinds of things like that. Right. And, um, and then there were keynotes and uh, different sessions. And it seemed to be, there seems to be a couple of themes running here. One is uh, a lot of people are doing sessions on, seems on an auto layout. And uh, there were a couple of talks on the whole indie apocalypse thing. Let me guess, Jim. Is, uh, is the auto layout thing like, oh my God, this thing's actually real. We better figure this out. <laughs> Did that act- well, was that it? <laughs> Well, kind of, sort of. I mean, like, like Sam's uh, talk is uh, one that he... There's a series of videos that he did on, on the Rayburn site on uh, using size classes and the new stack views, I believe. Um, and that was, you know... Yeah, I mean, the reality is after, after iOS 9 rolls out and the new iPad 2 with multitasking, 
on it where you, where you can have your app running side by side with some other app um, you better get on board kind of thing right um, yep. and that's sort of where it's coming from and, and yeah I think they're the it's they're pretty popular sessions on on a layout. the thing about it is though is that um, it's a lot of repetition in my opinion um, so you know it's often, not new stuff is what you're saying Right. Yeah, I mean, there, there was there was a session on advanced auto layout, and then there was one on mastering auto layout, and uh, of course, you know, Sam's uh, uh, workshop on Sunday as well. Yeah, I was going to um, say the two titles were solving auto layout problems and mastering auto layout. So to me, the theme of the auto layout stuff, aside from Sam's workshop, was that you probably know a little bit about auto layout, but you're having problems, thus yeah. solving auto layout problems, and then mastering auto layout is more of a slightly more advanced kind of a talk so to me the feeling was you've all been using this and it almost seemed a little bit mature so it wasn't like you said Aaron where everyone's or I don't know if that's what you're implying that people haven't done it yet but it felt to me like auto layout is here we've all been doing it and now let's kind of take it to level two like there wasn't really a beginner auto layout session which was kind of nice to see well, okay. on, that, on that same subject, uh, in terms of what's really here, I mean, there's a lot of Swift here, Aaron, as well. I mean, so um, Greg's session, which he did on, on uh, switching your brain over to Swift, we talked about it on the show recently. Um, it was actually one of the sold-out sessions. I mean, they were basically pushing people out the door and and, uh, and telling people they couldn't watch it. It was And it was quite insightful. And then there was another one today uh, by Rene, what's his name again, Greg? Rene Cachot, I think. He's also on the Ray Wendelk team. His talk I really enjoyed. It was almost the same title as mine, so I had to be sure to check it out. Yeah. But he was talking about how he had inherited an Objective-C um, app at his work. Right. And then they decided, for whatever reason, you know what? Let's make this into Swift. And how they eventually converted one part. They did one view controller. They took some of the lower-level stuff. And then eventually they shipped a 100% Swift update to the app. Wow. So it was a really good story about how they did it and the sort of practical side. Uh, not so much practical tips, but like what kind of things they ran into, what order they converted things in, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so it was a very nice practical thing for because, you know, everybody has some kind of legacy Objective-C uh, app and a big code base already. I asked at the beginning of my talk... Uh, how many people have written fewer than a hundred lines of Swift before, and yeah. it was more than half. It was a good, you know, seventy percent or something like that. And so, um, I think people sort of know Swift is around, and maybe they've played around with it a little bit. But the vast majority of the world is still, you know, we've got these Objective C apps. We have to do it. That's our job. And so, the number of people who have, I think, shipped a Swift app, even with a little bit of Swift, seems to be pretty small. But we're a year in, so I think people are ready to make the jump. So I think that's why um, at least my talk did really well. And also I think Renee's talk did really well because it yeah. was like, all right, let's get started with it. We've been doing it for a year. We're maybe a year ahead of you guys. But, you know, here's here's all the mistakes we made and what you need to do coming up. Yeah. And all the code examples in the in the sessions uh, are pretty much, you know, like Swift. I haven't seen very much Objective-C. You know, there's a, a lot of talk about it. But um it's it's like you know it's as opposed to you know we have to be concerned about this and, and it's coming in the future. It's kind of like it's arrived and the rubber's hit the road and you better you know better get on board as you like to say the train is leaving the station. You know so I mean there's still a lot of room for Objective C obviously and I think Apple's added some stuff in uh, in Objective C if I'm not mistaken in uh, iOS nine uh, to add more capability to Objective C. I think that's one of the points you made in your talk, wasn't it, Greg? Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, they're adding stuff to Objective-C in the service of Swift, but right, I think I mean, my yeah. point was, well, 
who cares why they're doing it really they're still doing it so if you if you're still using objective c then there's still you know improvements to the language coming sure there's sure. no way that objective c is going anywhere right no like no, no, no exactly. nobody's really saying that but i mean it's i think it's pretty widely acknowledged um i got a question yesterday from uh my employer uh my current employer on a contract and He's not technical at all, but he wrote me yesterday asking about uh, a new developer, a wannabe developer that he knows, young person, and uh, should he learn Objective-C or Swift? Um, and I wrote back and I said, well, um, if they're just getting started and they want to learn how to develop for iOS, then Swift is clearly the way to go because, mm-hmm. you know, that's where all the tons of resources now, you know, like you're, you're not going to be hurting for uh, ways to find out about how to program in Swift. Um, and it's clearly the future, and so it's a good thing to know. However, um, I think that if if you have um, a view of getting into professional development, like, say, contracting, like what I'm doing, then, of course, you need to know Objective-C because you're you're going to run into that code all over the place. Yeah, definitely. So whether through uh, osmosis or or because you're just going to be told, you know, this this is an Objective-C code base, um, and you must write an Objective-C because there are people that do that. Um, you will need to know that. Yeah. But, you know, of course, in the short term, you can, you know, surely get started with Swift, and why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the gist behind what I've been teaching people is that, you know, um, you, you, if you're going to be dealing with any legacy apps, like, I mean, if, if Renee's team didn't know any Objective-C at all, um, they wouldn't have been able to make the transition that they, that they did make, you know? And I've seen a number of projects come across my desk, you know, of customers who had been abandoned by the developers who decided back in October to go all swift on the next build and, and basically end up with a project that that's, doesn't doesn't run, barely compiles, and, you know, and, and they've burned through tons of hours and tons of client money to get it there, right? So Yeah, well, that's mm-hmm. actually been a big problem for the project that I'm on. Uh, yeah. Large, large, well, not large, large, but uh, there's a, a, a nice chunk of that app was written in Swift uh, yes. back in when it was first introduced. And yeah. um, I've had to convert bits of it back to Objective-C, and other parts of it have just been an anchor on the application every time you compile, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was just a really, really bad move, ill-considered. Um, uh, that'll become less painful over time, of course. Well, I hmm. think with the with the changes they made between... Um to 1.2, and now what's coming in 2.0? I think it's at Swift is much more a realistic uh, choice, right? Yeah, than, yeah, than but it's, it you know was. what? Like it's still, it's still a maintenance issue, right? Because the language is still changing, right? And so every time uh, a new release comes out, we have to make sure that that code uh, is still correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So between iOS 8 and iOS 9, running in Xcode 7, uh, we have to upgrade that Swift code um, yeah. and test it and make sure it's working and frankly, you know, we got a lot of other things to do. Uh, we're under yeah. an enormous amount of pressure to deliver this uh, this release, and uh, the last thing we want to deal with is migrating to a new version of Swift. So, Aaron, you bring up a really good point, and uh, we're facing this right now. So, you know, iOS 9 is coming out, and Xcode 7 is coming out, right? And so, we're in a situation where we're, we're putting a release out before iOS 9 comes out. So, this code base is Swift 1.5. But once Xcode 7 comes out, we have to think, you know, definitely we have to migrate to Swift 2.0 because that's what you have to do. But if our code base was Objective-C, that's not even an issue. Yeah, it would just work, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, apps do compile, obviously, but if they're if they're already you know sent to binary and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's having to pick up old stuff, and and you know we we go through that at uh, at the site because we have to go back and every time there's a new release, uh, we have to go through and make sure our code works. And there was a lot of stuff happened between. Uh, is it one point two is the latest shipping version or one point five? It's one on two. One two. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, and there was a quite a, quite a few changes like the uh, the new. Uh, Forced unwrapping and all that kind of stuff. The as with the exclamation thingy on the end of it. And yeah, I think the good news for me was the amount of stuff between uh, Swift One Beta One and Swift One GM was massive. If you yeah. if you did a diff or something like that, I'm sure it would have been it would have been huge. Whereas between Swift Two Beta One and even now Beta Five, whatever we're at, it hasn't been that bad. So the pace across the betas has been slowing. Certainly between one. 1.2 and 2, there have been a lot of changes. But during the beta period, they seem to have slowed down this time. So I feel like mm. maybe they're getting close to not plateauing and sort of a, an island of stability. But, you know, they're getting closer. Well, I would so I really think like after to you, see... I think after you're at 2, then, say, the Swift 2.1 migrator will be much smoother than the previous two have been. Mm-hmm. I won't feel comfortable starting in Swift until it stops moving <laughs> like that. That's never um, going to happen. Aaron. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, Objective C did reach the point they were adding features, but it wasn't. They weren't breaking features. Like if you remember Objective C two, yeah, it didn't break Objective C one. It was like here's a whole bunch of new stuff. Whereas That's with right. Swift, I think you know between I don't one think and it's two, cool to break yeah. features. It's not cool to break previous source code. That mm. is not cool. I don't care what you say. <laughs> because when did, when did Objective C two come out? Oh, Christ, I don't know. Anybody remember? Okay. That no, was within like, my lifetime, maybe two, yeah. three years ago. Oh. Yeah. That was when whatever. properties... Came. No, it was longer yeah. than that. Sorry, that was when yeah. properties were introduced, right? Maybe five, six years ago, whatever. Yeah, it was but, a while. Uh, you know, when it happened... an old language. Let's be, let's be realistic. I mean, it's, that goes back to, like, you know, the, the mid-90s or even earlier than that, right? So. But when it came out, it didn't break existing code, right? And there are still people yeah. today that write Objective-C 1.0 code. <laughs> I still oh, really? see it. Wow. Wow, yeah. <laughs> but it still happens. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not going anywhere, but it doesn't break. And that's key. Like, it looks like crappy code, mm-hmm. but it still compiles. And that's what matters. And if if Apple thinks that they can go ahead and ship new versions of Xcode that will force you to go back to all your Swift code and rewrite it, or even with the assistance of a migrator tool, I, I do not consider that acceptable. Okay. And there was a time before Swift when Apple felt the same way. I guess Apple better take notes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everyone knows that this is a new language, and you know, if you are using it, this is sure. eventually going to be the future. But it's like, I, I mean, way back at last year's keynote, it was like, you know, we're we're not going to guarantee source compatibility even across the beta period, which was totally true. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want to keep up with the migrations, then that's fine. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Aaron, you have to know what you're getting into, right? You have to know that Swift is going to change. And someone had asked me at the session, one of the questions was, you know, do you see the changes in Swift? Is it reaching maturity? Is it going to kind of plateau the level, the number of changes? And I said, no, because, you know, just look at it. The giant jump across one beta, one to two is a big jump. Two to three will probably be another big jump. Maybe after next year, it can start to slow down once they've got all of the features and they've decided where the exclamation marks are going to go. And where they aren't, but crazy. It's a, it's it's another year away at least. Yeah. Well, you got to understand my perspective, right? Like, I don't know what you guys do all day, but 
Swift. Uh, in my work, you know, I'm I'm not expected or required to to deliver on the latest technologies, whatever that might be. Like there there are um, major business interests invested in seeing a bug-free application that meets their business goals. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they don't care if it's in Swift or Objective-C. Yeah, I'm in, I'm right. in the same page. Actually, I mean, they do care. Well, I, no, just, they don't care for what? <laughs> no, no, they do care. I talked to a number of enterprise clients and some like major media corporations, and they were all like on board with Swift, which surprised me. You would think a new language, and this is before 1.2 came out, you know, they're like both feet in, jumping in on Swift. Well, so they, they're misinformed. IBM, I know, has a partner with, with Apple, but like a lot of enterprise clients are too, are, even my current client, they like, we want to do a Swift migration. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just ridiculous. Like, it's well, stupid. they've got that's the time like and the, the resources. I mean, like, like my client, my main client right now, Aaron, is is you know, we've been we've shipped out three updates and we're about to issue a new version of the app uh, in a couple of weeks, and it's in Objective C. That's the reality. Is is my client doesn't care like yours what language I choose as long as it freaking works. Right, right. It doesn't. It shouldn't matter. You know, like some of my most frustrating clients I've ever dealt with in the history of my uh, freelance career. Uh, yeah. And this is going back to like web development, right? Uh, is are those that would say, um, you know, they're non-technical. They they are just just quote unquote business people. Yeah. Um, that they just want a product, but they will specify the technology stack that they want. Mm-hmm. And and it's just it's it's out of, you know, I heard that this was good, so I want you to use <laughs> this. Yeah. And you know, it's ridiculous. You know, and I don't think that's any different than. Um, than enterprises demanding Swift because, frankly, at the end of the day, there's vanishingly little about Swift that makes it superior to Objective-C because, really, it's about the frameworks. It's not about the language. Hmm. Uh, Swift is great, you know? I love Swift. Fun. You know, much more Ruby-like. I dig it. But you know what? The, the, you can spit out the same app writing in either language. Yeah, but I think in development terms, it's a lot more or a lot less error prone, right? There's a lot more safety features in Swift. That's one of the biggest selling points. So they say. But in the meantime, it's undergoing uh, rapid transformation, and it's a liability. So from a business perspective, and you know, the larger the business, the more conservative they are. Yeah. You know, you're basically saying, listen, we're going to use this brand new language that is still changing, and every time they come up with a new version. It's going to require us to go back and make changes to it, to the code. The thing is that I'm going to have to put aside the very real business requirements that I have to attend to in order to ship this application. I'm under enormous pressure, okay? Enormous pressure to put this application out without bugs. I've got a GitHub tracking list issue that's pages long of bugs that the QA team is finding. And oh yeah, Swift 1.2 is out now with a bunch of changes that you need to fix. Mm-hmm. Don't have time for that. There's no time for that. It's madness. So adding that just increases the burden when it's not necessary. You know, if it's a year from now and Swift 3 is coming out at WWC <laughs> and Apple says, yep, uh, this one is going to be source compatible with all previous versions. We are never going to break compatibility again yeah. because we've decided on this. We have sufficient control over the compiler that we can ensure that previous versions of Swift also compile. And now it is ready for prime time. 
Use it interchangeably, I don't care. But there's no penalty now for using Swift. Whereas today, as much as you guys love Swift, and God, you seem to, frankly, do, it's, it. it's, it's, you'd be brain damaged, in my opinion, to be using it in a production business, line of business application. Or, or you know, insert name of giant company here. So they've been brainwashed. Great. It happens all the time. That's they why Microsoft was so huge. It's, not, it's about money. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an entirely separate issue. I'm yeah. talking about the nuts and bolts of making a, a logical decision about development technology. Not well, about it's, it's a level of degrees, though. I mean, you could say the same thing when iOS 7 came out and they changed this particular API and the constraints work differently. Like, what if I said the same thing to you, Aaron? You'd be brain damaged to write an app on iOS because if you wrote it for iOS 6, things broke in iOS 7, and then, oh, my God, every year you'd have to go in and fix it. That's just of crazy. You do. Don't develop for this platform. Of course but you keep your app up to date. that's a specious argument because you have to upgrade for those because everybody's using that, right? So that's a specious argument. No, like, because it's the cost of doing business. If, you, if Objective-C did change and add some new features, you could just not do it. I agree. And Objective-C has been stable. But if a company is jumping in and saying, no, we want to use Swift, it's whatever, safe, uh, faster development. I don't know. I don't even know if these things are true. Of safe, sure. Faster <laughs> development, I don't know. That's, that's iffy. Some people say that. I don't really believe it. But if they want to jump on the Apple stack like that, and they know, yeah, it's going to change. You're going to have to... Like when you tell a client that, you know, you have this app and then here's what it's going to cost and then you build it and then that's it. You have to say, no, there's going to be updates, bug fixes. What if iOS comes out? I mean, a lot of people who want apps don't know that and then they, they just expect to pay once and it's going to work forever or something like that. But with Swift, there's the extra cost to it. That's true. But if a company knows that and then they go ahead and do it, even if it's a big company and you think they're conservative, but that's not necessarily true. A lot of big companies aren't. Then... I don't see the problem with that. Like, it's not like they're, well, maybe they are, but if they jump into Swift and they start using it now and they don't know that it's going to change, then yes, that's a, that's, a hor that's a horrible mistake. But the companies that do know, then I say, go for it. You're going to update your app next year for iOS 10, and then Swift 3 will come out, and that's the cost of doing business. But if they know that, then I think that's great. Yeah, and it all, comes down to, it all comes down to maintainability, too. I, I hear what you're saying, Aaron, and... and but I, you know, I think that if, again, I, I, there's two things. One is the question that comes up a lot of times when I meet with new clients is, should we move to Swift, right? And, and I approach it with the same kind of caution that you do, Aaron. And the other, the other thing is, is, if you build an app for somebody and you're gone in six months or a year, right, can the next bunch of developers pick up and go with it? And Six months ago, if you started something in Swift, it would be a challenge, I think, to find a, you know a bunch of developers who could just really run with it, right? Like like Mark couldn't. I mean, Mark is a very experienced programmer. I'm sure he could pick it up in in no time if he if he turned his attention to it. But right now, he's not even looked at it. And I know Jaime hasn't used it in production either. So so there's a situation. There's two. So three out of the four of us who have you know, and I'm the least likely to be using Swift to be honest with you, as out of the four of us, right? Um, but if I was starting an app from scratch, I probably would. I probably would would start it in Swift. It would. It would depend. It's a business decision, like you said. It would depend on on where the where the one the application needs to work. It needs to be bug free. It needs to satisfy all the requirements. But it also has to be maintainable going forward, right? Um, if 
if Apple's going to introduce, do, introduce new stuff that's going to break code going forward and we constantly have to go in and, and do bug fixes and, you know, that's going to impact the client's bottom line as well. They're going to be paying for that, right? Or even exactly. if you're building your own app, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard living in the tutorial bubble because yeah. I always assume, of course, well, not assume, but to me, it's like, oh, the whole, whole world is Swift. But then you go out there and it's like, oh, no, people have maybe played around with Swift or have not played around with Swift at all. And then, you know, I only know a few people who actually have Swift apps in production that, you know, big companies are just on their own apps. But just to what you were saying, Tim, like, what's the developer population out there going to be like? Like, Fouad, if you had a client who was a big company and they wanted to go Swift and then they said, oh, we need to get more people on board, like... Do they know that that's going to be difficult to find, or they're just willing to train them up? Like, does that so, so even come up? They know in developers? general, like mobile developers are hard to find, right? iOS and Android. So I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's without question. What doesn't matter is Swift or Objective C. But in that case, Swift I think is a lot easier to pick up. At least for me, I've been doing Objective C for three years. I just picked up Swift and started, and I'm already way more comfortable with Swift. I mean, maybe that's because of previous languages I, I programmed in. But I mean, for me, Swift is much easier to, to understand. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you know Objective C and you were going to pick up Swift, you would. I mean, I mean, like I've like everyone has said, the APIs are still the APIs, and it's just some syntax you have to learn at least just to get started. But I wonder how, again, just how companies are filling Swift. Like I don't know of any company who has a Swift app that they built, and then one of their developers left, and then they had to fill that position again. Like, what do they do? Do they are they finding Swift people out there, or are they just making another iOS Objective C hire? And then training them up on Swift. Like, I wonder how that's going. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't, you know, looking for clients and looking for new work. I don't see Swift as a requirement at this point in time. I still see Objective C. I see iOS. I see, you know, people who say iPhone. You need to know iPhone OS. You know, but um, I don't see Swift as a requirement. You know, going in, it, it's a question that's asked at the time when when you're uh, you're going there. And I, you know, similar to the question that that I forgot which one of you mentioned. I think it was Greg that. Oh yeah, no, it was Aaron. Aaron, you said that your your boss had asked if what advice you would give a new person coming up. What would they? What should they learn? And you know, you'd think that if if the world, if it was a perfect world, yeah, then you just learn Swift and you learn size classes and you learn stack views and and you're off to the races, right? Because everything's peachy and keen over at Apple Land. But the reality is, is that if they're going to be working in an, in an environment where they're going to be working with legacy apps and you know legacy frameworks and whatever, they're going to need to know need to know it. But uh, I think more and more. I think we. I could ask you the same question about Auto Layout. I mean, you, we talked about that just a few minutes ago, Aaron. I mean, you've adopted Auto Layout, I believe, right? And you're you're yep. comfortable with it, and you understand the trailing and the leading and all that nonsense. And and you, are you doing Auto Layout in code or using Interface Builder? How are you How are you approaching that? Both as required. Yeah. So I mean, so that's a, and that's that's a change. I mean, that that was introduced what in iOS five, I believe, was the first run at auto layout three yeah. years ago and then not usable until six is that or was it i was four and it wasn't usable until five my no i think it came out in five it was i think it was uh, the 360 i dev was where where again i saw justin williams speak at uh on auto layout specifically at um 360 i dev two years ago and then again he spoke on it last year and then this year he did the mastering on uh, auto layout session so um, and it's come a long way. I mean, it's getting to the point where you know I'm 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 a lot more comfortable with auto layout than I was you know six months ago. You know because of the, the changes that have come in in the latest builds and things like that. Right. So latest uh, SDKs that is. Mm. I'm interested in what you said, or Tim just mentioned it, but what you said, Aaron, about a new developer and just telling them to learn Swift. I mean, 
for us, because we knew Objective-C and then we learned Swift, it kind of, all of the madness of the Cocoa frameworks kind of makes sense to us. But I'm just trying to imagine if I had, if I could just blank, blank out my mind and if I just learned Swift, there would be so many oddities that I would notice in the Cocoa frameworks. I'd be like, why is this like this? Why is this pass like this? Why isn't it just done with a struct? Why do I have to do it like this? That I'm almost still of the opinion that you should learn Objective-C first while you're learning the Cocoa frameworks, and then you'll know why you have to do all this weird stuff and then learn mm-hmm. Swift. So, Aaron, that's interesting to me that you told, that you would suggest to someone just to learn Swift right away. Think about programming as an incredibly idiosyncratic pursuit. That if you had learned Objective-C and you could approach it again with what you're thinking of as beginner's mind, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that you are seeing everything new for the first time. I think you would find almost everything about it peculiar and strange. <laughs> um, and there you may mean, be you reasons mean for any it. language you learn, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, even Objective-C and the Cocoa Frameworks, sure. uh, all taken together, are, are, are full of oddities. And, um, you know, things that you would require historical context to understand. And things that you may never truly understand, but just know, right? That you have accepted into your internal pantheon of knowledge around your, your, mind, your mental data structures <laughs> as to how the frameworks and the language fit together. And I don't think that's any different if you, if you learn Swift or Objective-C. You, you go either way in that sense. So if you've, if you've learned, learned Swift first, um, you're going to learn it uh, and, you know, targeting the Cocoa frameworks. And it's just, that's just what it's going to be like. And you, you'll, you'll be so overwhelmed with all this new information that you're going to spend not nearly as much time as maybe, Greg, you're thinking, uh, trying to question why it is the way it is. Right, um, because even in Objective-C, I probably would have questioned why things are the way they are. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. sure you would have. If, I mean, if you'd had time, you know, in the midst of being overwhelmed by all these things. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I was, you know, for, for years. Um, it took years for me to learn how to program this stuff. Mm-hmm. I would really love to find someone, like in two years, find someone who has never done Objective-C and who learned all of this stuff with Swift and just... I don't know, ask them a bunch of questions about what they think about the frameworks and whatnot. Uh, watch and, them program. Yeah, I'd just be really... Because, again, I, I go back and forth on the question when people ask me, Objective-C or Swift. I mean, for a time I was saying, just go with Swift. And then I, you know, I go back and forth. No, you should know a little bit of Objective-C to know, how they, you know why the things are named the way they are, whatever. And then, I, I, I don't anyway, know. Anyway, yeah. I go back and forth. I'm I don't really sure. think that's going to be a problem. You know, they'll... They'll figure it out. I know, because there are people who are, when Swift came, that was the whole thing, right? To appeal to a whole new group of people with the, with the language. And they are picking it up, and apparently they're being able to do it. So, yeah, Absolutely. I imagine that that's probably true. All right, I'll tell people to go with Swift. <laughs> All right. Can, can you guys, like, I, we started this whole line of talk about uh, 360i, Dev. Yeah, I was, I was asking go you about that. the Indiepocalypse. Yeah, I was actually right. going to go back to that. It wasn't nearly as exciting as the Swift talk was, but... Um, it was, it's an interesting thing because there were there were uh, I think Marin Tordoroff did a talk on um, the indie apocalypse and the keynote no no we got to go in order the very I know, I know, the I, keynote I, I love going out of order just right. mess you guys up all right but the keynote was actually by um, uh, Josh Michaels and basically he talked about the indie apocalypse uh, he's I think he believe I believe he said he was a successful indie developer right. He talked about, uh, I mean, and it was sort of something that, like, when I first met Jaime, you know, he sort of said to me that, you know, and again, I don't know where he picked this up from, and he'll, he'll tell us next week, I'm sure, but um, 
he told me that we that, that technology cycles kind of run in 10-year cycles. And when we met, oh, we yes, were at yes, the fifth yes. year of that technology cycle. And so now mm, here we are at the times. eighth year, right? And part of what the conversation was that Mike Lee talked about it, and um, to a certain extent Kyle Richter talked about it in their, in their opening keynote. Um, Mike Lee did a closing keynote last night, and, and um, Kyle Richter did the midday keynote today. And uh, again, so it was kind of like there was that, that was the other running theme through the show. And, and it's kind of like everybody sort of said the same thing. You know, uh, the, youth of, the youth period of the market of developing for iOS is over and done with. Now we're sort of reaching the, uh, the adolescent or immature version of it. And eventually it'll get to a point where the technology will get old and it'll die and it'll fade away, right? And something else will come along and replace it. So, um, and that whole concept of building an app uh, getting it up on the App Store, helping help Apple help you and stuff like that. Mar- Marin made a really important point in his talk today. He said, nowhere in Steve Jobs' original introduction of the um, App Store did he say that you're going to make money doing this. He said, we'll help you, we'll make, we'll make it available to you, but we're not in any side about when he talked about marketing your apps. Um, but they all sort of said the same thing. And, and, and one is that Focus on what you're doing in terms of what kind of work you're going to be doing, but also realize that that you need to diversify your income. And Josh's uh, Josh uh, Michael's point was, if you're going to focus your your world on what Apple's doing on the App Store or even on an Apple uh, ecosystem, then you're you're in trouble because it's not going to be there forever, right? Even though they are the biggest company in the world. Um, at one point, I love that he said that uh, you know think different is about thinking against the 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 majority or the or the the current uh, paradigms, right? Apple, as it stands right now, is not think different because they are the majority of paradigms right now. They're the most successful company in the world. I'm misquoting that, but um, but that was sort of the thing that that they talked about is is being realistic about where we are. Um, it is it's not possible to make money as an indie developer. I think that they all, every, everybody kind of reached that agreement. But you have to sort of find other ways to diversify your income. And actually, um, now that I said that. Um, yeah. Did you go to Brandon's Brandon's talk? Um, I did go to his talk. Yeah, and and what was it? Did, he was because he was another. Uh, um, he's a successful indie developer, right? I believe that converted his company into a, a studio, right? Can you fill us in on that? His the talk. The title of his talk was something like how I went from fired from my job to starting a studio to a million dollars in revenue or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. If the, I don't know if you count him as an indie developer because isn't that like a product person? Is an indie developer? Yeah, well, I think I think the product in his case is produced. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, I think okay. I think Indy is is like Aaron with Magpie building exactly, building yeah, Magpie. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's a consultant. Yeah, like yeah. he's built a studio. He's got a few full timers now, and they do they take on um, contract work and projects and whatnot. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which but is, it was interesting that at least four of the talks were all in this all around the same thing, right? Yeah, um, I know. Well, Marin is a friend of ours, and his talk was today and all of the previous sort of indie related talks were before and he was like oh my god i'm going last i'm just gonna you know everyone has already heard the same thing and how depressing it is being an indie and so i think he did change up his talk a little bit and he tried to do a positive spin on it a little bit i mean the title he did have the word indie apocalypse in the title of his talk but i think he told me that a couple people came up to him after the talk and said oh thanks you know you kind of had something positive in there for us not just oh all doom and gloom in the yeah. talk so i think he did a good job but i didn't i, I just uh browsed some of the recording of his talk uh, just the first few minutes but i think his talk was uh, like i said because he wanted to differentiate himself a little bit and he did find the other talks 
depressing because he does have some products and he does consulting work as well. So I think he wanted to put the spin on it that, you know what, there is still a way to do it. And that's kind of what he talked about. Well, so I mean, do we know what that spin is? Give me a glimmer of hope, man. Well, in terms of what, what, uh, what his spin of the talk was or, or what he's yeah, doing like to how, be successful. How did, how did people walk out thinking better about indie life? It's not well, even possible. So what am I doing? He talked about, like I said time? before, he talked about diversifying his 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 output to the community by by um, you know he he the example he gave about the the sort of slap in the face he got from Apple was he and his partner dived into building a keyboard extension for um, iOS eight and you know it was all well and good and then then they found out as they were developing the thing and then as Apple was changing the rules on the fly there that you couldn't use in app purchases you couldn't do any kind of advertising within the keyboard uh, frameworks or and so basically all you could rely on was that people were going to buy your app on the app store and pay money for it at the at the, at the outset and, the, and we all know that that doesn't seem to work anymore um, but he talked about you know things he does outside of um, iOS I mean he I mean out of out of trying to be an indie developer he's indie in terms of his work ethic because he writes books and he speaks at conferences and he diversifies what he does but he doesn't but he's his boss he doesn't have to go into an office every day and and, you know and work in a job that he hated he that's one of the reasons why he became an ios developer right was because it gave him that opportunity to be an independent uh, independent professional an entrepreneur i guess is the best way to put it right yeah and and you know and um Mike Lee's talk and uh, Kyle Richter's talk were, were thinking, we're trying to get us thinking outside of, you know, what's happening next week or what's happening next month or when the next iPhone's coming out and thinking more towards the future in terms of where uh, societies go. And, and it's funny because Kyle Richter and um, Marin both independently used the telegraph business as a model of something that, you know, started out with, you know, very small, hard to get into kind of uh, a world eventually got to the point where telegraph operators were like really highly well paid and they were considered smart and bright people in, the, in society um, and but eventually you know the got to the point where the, the network got big enough you could actually tell it send a telegraph from one country to another you know as, as the business as the market grew and then eventually it was replaced by the telephone and to this day I don't think anybody anywhere sends a telegraph sort of thing but they, they both use that as an analogy of, of how markets come grow, get really profitable for, for some people, and then, then fade away. So it was a good, uh, good series of talks. But the thing that you're saying is that really the idea of, of having a product, selling it on the App Store, making a living from it, really it, it's impossible. That's not happening. And so really the only way that you can sort of make an independent living is to eschew this common model yeah. and oh, yeah, to yeah. actually truly think different, to, to be like Apple was... 12 years ago, yep. uh, 15 years ago, and and strike your own path. Don't go on the App Store <laughs> uh, yeah. and do something completely different. Well, do the App Store can still be a piece. Different. I mean, during sure Josh's be, but it's, it's keynotes, yeah. during Josh's keynote, there was a good moment where he said, everyone who has shipped, helped yeah. to ship an app, stand up. And, you know, pretty much the whole room stands up. Yeah. And then he said, all right, and people who make their entire living on, I forget the exact term, but I think it was basically like you make your entire living from the app store on yep. your apps. And then five people Everybody's maybe were still standing out of whatever yep. the 400 people that were there. 
and then and they that, got around the applause. Up with with uh, um, Charles Perry's talk of a couple of years ago, he used some some uh, numbers he got from I forget where it is, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, he his number was that I think zero point one percent of of all iOS developers at the time, this is going back a year at least, um, were making any money on the App Store. So zero point one percent, and that pretty much was the the result of the people standing and sitting in the in that room. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's always been a rarity. And also, I would say that's, I mean, it's always been important to diversify. People are just realizing it now for whatever yeah. reason. But yeah. I think whatever, speaking at conferences, you have books, you have, I mean, even Josh had a pie chart up there. I have yeah. to go back and look at the slides, but it was like 30% video. I'm not sure what that means. Does he do video tutorials or something like that? Screencasts? Yeah. Anyway, he had like 30, so 40%. Sure, yeah. On videos, and then he—I was actually in the Mac App Store. That was his. Oh yeah, yeah, of, it was fifteen. That was his trump card, or his hidden yeah. secret was that he had like forty percent from the Mac App Store, twenty percent. I think it was forty percent Mac App Store, twenty percent iOS App Store. Because I remember it was still more than half. It was more than fifty percent was some kind of App Store, right? And then whatever twenty percent, whatever numbers left, twenty percent consulting, or maybe freelance. I forget what the last one was, but he did have more than half coming from iOS and Mac. And even that, he said, was too much. He's like, he's relying too much on Apple for like 55% or 60 or whatever it was of his income coming from there. So I think that's always been a good idea. And I, I'm not sure even, well, maybe if I made a million dollars on the iOS app store, I would, I would say something else. But I'm not sure I would even want all of my money to come from the iOS app store, let alone iOS plus the Mac app store. Having 100% come from those two, that would be way too undiversified for me personally. And Marin, Marin gave some some points about you know once he walked walked us through how the the app store kind of um, market was there, um, you know he, he, his the cold splash of water in your face is it's unlikely that your first app is going to succeed, and if you're going to produce an app, it has to be a high quality app. It can't be a fart app or a beer app or those kind of that those days are long long gone. Um, he suggested teaming up with other people to to build a you know build a, a small business together. And launch into a niche product, which we've all talked about on the show before. And and at the bottom line is Apple didn't promise you anything. They didn't say that you were going to make, they're going to make you millionaires or they're going to make you thousandaires or even hundredaires. You know, uh, he gave a couple examples um, uh, of people that you know we've talked about on the show before, who you know put out an app and made a you know made a paltry sum, like you know three hundred. Jared Sinclair, you know, working sixty to eighty week hours a week and. Only earning thirty thousand in a year, Wordgrid was another example where the you know the guys worked for a long time and only made a few hundred bucks, and then you know uh, Redacted for Mac only made you know three hundred dollars in its first week. So those kind of those kind of numbers are, are the new normal. It's like you're not going to make buckets of money on a single app. Now I'm depressed again. I have to go watch Aaron's <laughs> talk. Um, so I mean, you guys are talking about like you know how the indie you know wave is over, but like the last session I went to was about enterprise you know development mm -hmm. and um they brought up a really good point and that's and it may be hard to make apps make you money but on the other hand there are still bucket loads of money to be made in consulting and doing ios development it's a big the money is with these big enterprise companies and that's you know well yeah that's the only place to make money <laughs> obviously <laughs> was that the how to sell to business and not lose your soul yeah, or something B2B like that one, yeah. okay okay yeah. I mean that's cool. that, that's the only way that an iOS developer actually has to make money is is by contracting their services, yeah, or or having like a job, obviously. yeah, yeah, get a job, yeah, yeah, and it, and it has to be. I mean, Marin did talk about that. The fact that you know jobs now are, you know, uh, they they go out of their way to make it enjoyable for you. I mean, I 
to be honest with you, I see foosball, fold, foosball tables all the time in ads, but you know that's not something that turns my crank. But I guess no, it works no, for some like, people. Like let's let's not like dwell too long on this, but <laughs> um, yeah. the the very idea of like pretty much every uh, technology employer seems to be of the opinion that you your your workplace is like your home, right? Like yeah. We've got meals, we've got foosball tables, we've got arcades. Um, you know, just stay here. Why go home? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I put this in the notes, and I don't think we have time, but uh, there's an article about how Amazon is not like that. But yeah, pretty much every other tech company. Right. Yeah, we don't have time to talk about those D-bags. But yeah, like I I just don't – I could never have that kind of job, obviously. That's why I do what I do. Yeah. So uh, anyway, suffice to say, um, if you want to make money, though, as an iOS developer, you're definitely not clearly going to do it selling your own product. You're going to be doing it, uh, building products for other people with money. Uh, you can, but you have to be like, you have to get that one app that's going to make the killer. It's just very rare. It's much easier to make money on the enterprise. Yeah. All right, let's uh, go around the table as we usually do every week and see if anybody has any picks. And I'll stop at Aaron. Aaron, do you have a pick? Yes, I do. Uh, today there was an app introduced called Principle for Mac. This is an, a prototyping tool. For uh, iOS and, or sorry, for web and for mobile, the idea with this thing is, I don't know if you remember this, like back in the day, like two years ago, I would say, there was a lot of talk about uh, ways that designers could put together animations, um, taking advantage of the frameworks that now exist for iOS in particular, uh, you know, like UIKit Dynamics, for example, um, when that technology came out. Um, there were a lot of new capabilities that developers uh, could use to do animation within their apps, but it was very difficult uh, for designers to uh, express those animations, to come up with ways uh, to, you know, like as, as you would traditionally work with a designer, a designer would put together a PSD and you could replicate that in the iOS app and you were all happy and getting along. But because an app is obviously something much more dynamic than just a static image. Um, Designers were very much handcuffed in trying to come up with ways of showing interaction models, uh, animation of of images and stuff, you know, uh, transitions between scenes, things like that. And there were no tools to let designers do that. Well, here we are. Today it's 2015. Principle for Mac, and the link's in the show notes, Mm -hmm. is a tool that does exactly that. Anybody who's ever used Flash, uh, not the plugin, but the Adobe Flash tool to create the stuff that goes on a plugin, uh, might be familiar with this UI. Uh, It's basically like a timeline-based system where you can drop graphical elements onto a canvas and animate them. And there's a bunch of canned animations and... Uh, stuff that you can do to uh, sort of very quickly put together these packages of, of, of animations. And they come in sort of certain categories that you can do, um, moving between screens, moving between large elements, just animating simple elements with the timeline tool. And so you can then export this stuff so that your de- developer can look at it and presumably replicate it inside of the app. Very cool Beautiful looking app, hundred bucks. Go get it if you're into this stuff. Have you have you tried it out yet, or just? Uh... No, no. I just saw a nice video on their website. Okay. I'm not a designer. 
But like I, I'm still I'm very excited about this because I work with designers. So does all the so time. does it output? To, does it give it like an output? Uh, um, something that that a developer could work, could work with? No, it's been done. No, what it what it does is it outputs like a video, or uh, an animated GIF. Right. Right. Okay. The idea is to demonstrate. Yeah, it's, it doesn't output uh, like <laughs> like. Uh, it's not like paint code, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not like paint code. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. put out. You know the I don't know why I've just forgotten uh, the animation framework name, but that's really embarrassing. Core animation. Co- core animation, yeah, CA layers and stuff like that. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Thank yeah. you. Um, so it doesn't do that, uh, but it it does show intent, and that has been up till now pretty much impossible for a designer to do. Cool. So this, I, I think it's a big deal, um, and if and if this tool is successful and gets adopted by designers, I think you can start seeing. Um, like and and here's the other thing like designers you know don't necessarily have this capability right mm-hmm. like animation design is i think a separate skill than visual design you know what i mean yes it definitely like, is like yeah. laying out page elements for example like you know i'm an old newspaper guy uh, i would lay out elements on a page you know but that's a different skill than deciding uh when and how elements animate inside of a yeah and timing and stuff like that screen yeah exactly Mm -hmm. you know all that stuff Mm -hmm. um but with this tool you can clearly you can prototype those things um and come up with something that works very easily cool anyway check it out all righty then cool so greg do you have a pick i do have a pick since we're here at 360i dev and i'm all in the conference mode my pick is next year's conference rw devcon 2016 thank you which is happening March 11th and 12th, I think, in the Washington, D.C. area. And if you're a fan of the Ray Wenderlich tutorials and, you know, you want to go step-by-step, you want to go home not just after having sat there, listened to some talks, maybe taking notes, but you want to actually go home with working code that you wrote and worked on. If you read the site, you watch the videos, and you want those people who make the videos and the tutorials sort of right looking over your shoulder as you work and talking to you, then it's a great conference to go to um small disclaimer i was there last year i'm also speaking at uh, the upcoming one but i i mean i had a great time there i got to go some to some of the sessions too and mm-hmm. it was fun to go to the sessions that I, I went to kind of the off the wall ones like the scene kit one for example because i have never done scene kit i'm not a game developer or anything like that but it was nice to be able to go and follow along and actually write something and have a working you know little piece of scene kit code at the end of it uh, so that's my pick. Tickets are on sale now, and from what I hear from secret sources, are going quick. I think it's still in the early bird period. So check it out, rwdevcon.com, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Sure. How much is the ticket, Greg? So I should have looked it up before. I think it's seven ninety nine. Oh. Hold on, I'm let me look it up now. Up right now. Okay, I'm thank you. I'll beat you. <laughs> thank you. So it's, uh, the early bird is eight hundred dollars, and the standard is nine hundred. Well, okay. Okay. Um, cool. Also, Tim will be there. And yeah, I'll be there, tickets, so yeah. there we go. And you Fouad can meet, will be uh, there as the official photographer. That's okay. right, Fouad is also the official photographer, so three of the people on this call will be there. Perfect. All cool. the conference goers. Yeah, what can we say? Fouad, do you have a pick? Um, actually, I do. Um, it's an iOS game, it's called Vainglory. You guys might have heard of it. They were uh, demoed at the, not this past WWDC, but the previous one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they call it the MOBA Perfected for Touch. Uh, MOBA is like a multi online battle arena, but like probably people have heard of like Legend, League of Legends and stuff like that. I played a, a few different MOBAs and I didn't like any of them, um, but 
this one on, on the iPad, I really enjoy it. It's easy to play, um, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So um, just check it out. I really enjoy it. So what's the name again? Uh, it's called Vainglory. Vainglory? Yeah, their website is vainglorygame.com, I believe. All right, well, I guess that's it uh, for another week. Uh, so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the internet interwebs, where would they look? You would not believe this, but go to Twitter, <laughs> at Aaron Bay, or go to my website. You could make the first sale of August if you buy a copy of magpievideo.com. Cool. All right, and Greg, where can people find you? People should also go to Twitter at twitter.com slash or go to my website, gregheo.com, where I posted the notes for my 360i dev talk. So you can have a sneak peek at the blog post version of the talk before the videos get posted. Cool. And uh, what, if people want to find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can also find me on Twitter on twitter.com slash flexronin. That's F-L-E-X-R-O-N-I-N. And I have a blog, uh, my first name, last name, org. Cool. And once again, I'm Tim Mitra. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, it-guy.com. So I guess that's it for the week, and we'll all say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Ciao. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. End scene. Thank you. Or end scene? We never just figured that out, did we? No, we just we did figure just it out. Scene. Is and scene. It is and scene? Yeah, it's and scene. I figured it out, and damn it, that's what it is. And you're supposed to yeah. say it like this, Tim. <clears throat> Are you listening? And scene. I do say it like that. I love you do it now, just now. And scene. Kind of like that. You're supposed to bring your do, hand you do the down. Game, you're supposed to bring your hand down over your face. No, it's go, Tim who does it. Can Tim see does it. And scene, right? That's how you're supposed to do it. Is that a reference from a movie or something? Or? No, it's, it's an improv thing. Okay. You see, Amy Fuller does it all the time on Saturday Night Live. She used to do it on, on Saturday Night Live. I don't know about this episode, but previous episodes I've listened to you guys. I can yeah. never tell if you're saying and scene or end scene. Well, or... this is we had we had an argument about that a couple of weeks ago. I think it's actually end scene, but you know, but I think and scene works too. So I think it's and, and. it's accents. a and d and right. Yes. 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 All right. Now I'm going to have to go look it up. Oh my god. <laughs> cool. No. That's not cool. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a cesspool of negativity, man. Well, Mark the curmudgeon isn't going to be here, so you have to take on that role. I got so much curmudgeon in me right now. Shifty Greg Hio, look how yeah, shifty he is. Shifty eyes, too famous Greg Hio. Yeah. Uh, okay, I gotta look this up.